seeing compromise happen is a very powerful thing. That feeling of something that's flawed, but got the vote and got passed, people came home from prison. We tried very hard to capture what that looks like on a human to human, whether it's, you know, Van and Senator Rand Paul talking strategy in, in the senator's office or seeing Trump signing the bill and handing the pen to Van. There's these moments of both opportunity and discomfort that I hope give a window into a possible opening in the political process because we have to move forward within these divisive times right now. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. From time to time, I get the chance to interview longtime friends on this podcast. Today's guests are the brothers Lance and Brandon Kramer, the producer and director of a political documentary film called The First Step, which is about Van Jones and his controversial efforts to enact criminal justice reforms during the Trump administration. Lance and Brandon are very thoughtful people, and we had a great conversation about what it took to build their documentary film company, put together their first and second films, and navigate the very complicated political, social, financial, and logistical challenges of their movie. This is a good episode. You should listen. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Lance and Brandon of Meridian Hill Pictures. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Time Plots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Time Plots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Would you guys each mind introducing yourselves and giving me a quick biography? So my name is Brandon Kramer. I am the director of The First Step, which is a new documentary that we're here to talk about. I'm also the artistic director and co-founder of Meridian Hill Pictures, which is a documentary production company here in D.C. This is my second feature film. First feature film is called City of Trees, which was released in 2016 on PBS and Netflix. Been a documentary filmmaker for the past 10 years or so in the DC area. My name is Lance Kramer. I'm also a documentary filmmaker. I am also Brandon Kramer's brother. I was the producer of the film The First Step. I'm also a co-founder of the documentary production company Meridian Hill Pictures, which is based in DC. We started the company almost 11 years ago. Uh, before that, I worked as a journalist in Portland, Oregon, and also did some community organizing and a bunch of other random odd jobs. I was born in Washington, D.C., as was my brother Brandon, um, and grew up in Bethesda, Maryland. And I have had the pleasure of knowing you guys since 
well before you started your company. And it's amazing that, that our paths have intersected so much along the way and that what you've put together with great effort fits with the show that I do. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited about talking to you about it. I'm excited to talk to you too. And I should have mentioned in our, in my biography, that a big part of my biography is knowing you for, I think, 20 years in different capacities. We've tried doing stuff together and we've taken many walks and chatted. So I know your story some, but I haven't had a chance to talk about it in this format. So actually, I want to first just cover your collective entrepreneurial journey a little bit. So it is not easy, everyone knows, to make a go of it as documentary filmmakers. It's a challenge. It's a hard area of the economy. It's hard to pull things together. Can you break that up a little bit between the two of you, but talk about how the decision to do this as a profession and a little bit about the building of the company and some of the challenges and triumphs along the way. Lance, tell me about like the formation of your company and what it took to get you to the point where you're making movies. Yeah, the formation of our company, there was a lot of thought and intention and passion behind what we wanted to do, but the specifics kind of just happened, you know, in the moment. And you were there at that moment, very, very uh, up close. In a sense, the foundation of the company goes back like 30 years. Uh, you know, I'm 37, Brandon 34. From as long as I can remember, we always played with cameras and, you know, told stories together and talked about wanting to be filmmakers, you know, fantasized about what that would look like to have a life as a filmmaker, going back to when we were like probably almost toddlers, you know, stealing our parents' video camera, you know, and, and making silly, silly short films. Those were not documentaries. Those were like spoofs or anything but documentaries. But that was the, I think, at least the, the origin of our love of film and also just our quote-unquote collaboration. Obviously, <laughs> we didn't start a company at that time. So fast forward, you know, many, a couple decades afterwards, when we, we started the company, Brandon had been working as a teaching artist out of film school with the Kennedy Center, uh, working on a national media education tour where he was actually teaching young people how they could make their own films. And then I have been working as an associate producer for a documentary filmmaker who was making environmental docs. Both of us had developed this love and interest in documentary film, but doing it in very different ways and also working for other people. And both of us happened to be working for nonprofit organizations whose funding ran out at exactly the same time. And we were faced kind of with this decision point or a crossroads, which was like, we saw this opportunity to make films in a way that was very exciting to us. We could not find a job out there that would hire us to do it. Um, but we were very motivated to still find a way. It was the recession, so it was a very precarious economic situation. And thank goodness we had some role models like our father, you know, who had started his own business, different field, but 
was an entrepreneur in his own right, and then had friends like you, who also were very encouraging about, you know, starting our own business, the idea of then starting a production company became a little less of our own became a little less daunting than what it seemed when it was in the abstract. It was like, oh, you could actually go down to DCRA, file paperwork, and you'd have an LLC. You could actually go out and find an office space and negotiate with someone to get a space for less money than what you thought it would cost. And the little pieces that became the building blocks began coming together. And I saw that first office and I visited with you as you thought about this process. And I know how much sweat there was over the years in trying to keep it afloat and trying to serve different clients and trying to get a first movie made. You're ranked up there among persistent people, in my mind, for getting to where you did. Brandon, why don't you pick up the story from where Lance left it off? I think what <laughs> what's made it so challenging and required the persistence is that I think Lance and I both have a love of filmmaking that is rooted in a kind of independence, a kind of ethic to the storytelling, stories that dive beneath the surface, that really try to explore deeply human and emotional journeys and really create something that tries to make sense of social justice issues, but from a very human uh, perspective and really challenges audiences to see um, social leaders, social movements in a different way um, that ex you know explores triumphs, but also hardships. And, and that kind of storytelling is very difficult. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of relationship building. It takes a lot of craft and a lot of independence. And so I think Lance and I started this journey with a love for cinema and a love for filmmaking. And that at the end of the day is what we've always wanted to do. And so in 2010, when we started the company, it was a matter of how do we get to that point? If that's what we want to be is really independent filmmakers. Um, we didn't have, you know, I think Nathaniel, you and I and Lance had lots of conversations about, should we grow this business? Should we, you know, build this whole company? And I think at the end of the day, we, we really just wanted to be filmmakers. And so in 2010, we started a company. We realized that making short documentaries for NGOs um, national and local NGOs was a good way for us to both practice and learn how to become documentary storytellers because you get hired to tell a story about the communities they serve. And it gave us an opportunity to get some revenue and start, you know, building, you know, some sense of a cash flow. We were also teaching filmmaking in schools all across the DC area and different community organizations. And then in the midst of that, we were using every penny of profit that we made to fund our first independent film, which is really, I think, as much as we did love making films for nonprofits and teaching, I think at our core, we really love being independent filmmakers. And so every penny that we made went right into this independent film, which was City of Trees. Over the course of five years, we poured everything into both running a, a small production company and making this film, which was basically two completely different full-time jobs that were supporting one another. It was really, really difficult, but we finished the film. We were able to run a, you know, a somewhat 
successful company, I think, for those years. And then after City of Trees was released... Brandon, let's pause on that for a sec. Lance, what was City of Trees? How did the idea for the film come to you? And that, I mean, that obviously is a huge part of, of your development as filmmakers and as a company. And why was that the subject and what was it? I feel like City of Trees kind of came together almost the way the company came together, where there was intention and interest in doing something, but the specifics were all kind of almost like the magic of circumstantial situations. And when we started the company, we wanted, as Brandon said, to make an independent film. That was always front and center, was that we wanted to make an independent documentary. And we were in particular very interested in telling some sort of human story about the way that people were navigating the recession and the recovery. We had our own version of that, which kind of resulted in the outcome of starting a company documentary film production company and trying to use that as a springboard to navigate the moment um, and build a life and a career. Um, and we felt really lucky that based on privilege and relationships and our education and all these things, we were able to, despite a lot of strife, still prevail. And we were really interested in storytelling about people that were having a much harder time navigating that moment and any efforts to do something to, to support people who, who, who are navigating the recession. We're thinking a lot about that. We didn't have a specific story. And then lo and behold, when we came to renting office space for our production company, we wound up renting space in a building called the Josephine Butler Park Center, which is owned and operated by a nonprofit organization called Washington Parks and People, led by uh, Executive Director Steve Coleman. And it turned out that uh, we wound up moving into this building, got to know Steve. It turned out that almost at the same time that we were moving into the building, Steve and Parks and People had been the recipient of a major stimulus grant to run one of the largest green job training programs in the country uh, that was part of the big national stimulus. They were really at the, the intersection of trying to do this big, bold, endeavor that was part of the green jobs movement at the time. It was a small, but still big piece of the, you know, 700 plus billion dollar stimulus program. There were a lot of social and economic dynamics at play locally and nationally that were all kind of encapsulated in the program. And there were these incredible people uh, who were part of the program, um, who we came to really respect and love um, and felt that they what they were going through was representative of an experience that a lot of other people were, were feeling as well. So it just became this, this whole environment that really drew us in. And from those relationships and getting to know people in the program, developed this ultimately five-year kind of odyssey to tell the story. You know, in short, we made a film about our landlord, but it was also so much more than that. Brandon, tell me your version of directing that. What was the raw materials of the story and what do you end up saying in that film? My experience directing the film, I mean, you have to remember, this is our first film. You know, I went to film school. We had made shorts, studied film, love for cinema. But this is our first real independent long form story. And it was really an opportunity to learn how to tell a story, which is a very challenging thing to, to, to discover how to make a documentary. Um, we built a close relationship with Cartemquin Films in Chicago, which 
are the filmmakers behind some of our favorite documentaries like Hoop Dreams, The Interrupters, all, all these great films. We were learning how to, this is a cinema verite film. It's an observational film. It's diving into a group of people who are, you know, attempting to create change in a community, a group of people who are trying to change their lives. And you're there with a small crew and you're trying to be there and capture these people's lived experience as it unfolds at a moment of opportunity, but also strife in their lives. And then you're trying to make sense of all that into one, one linear story. You're trying to take hundreds of hours of footage um, as you're filming it. And in the course of production, really trying to ask the questions, how does this all sync up into one, one story? You're filming with dozens of people and making decisions. What are the five people out of these dozens who I really want to stay rooted in as, as primary protagonists, as characters and, and that are going to sort of take us through this journey so it was a real process of just learning the ethics of the work, how to build relationships, how to not be exploitative, how to, you know, be in check with your own prejudices and blind spots, how to be present when the most important moments are happening in people's lives, the highs and the lows. And then you wind up with, you know, a hard drive with hundreds of hours of footage and then the two and a half year process of going through that footage and, and building a film in the edit and realizing that story doesn't work at all and tearing it down and starting over again and doing that over and over and over again until you've really found the narrative that you want to tell. I think, you know, your question about what is the film, what is the point of the film? What is it trying to do? To me, the point of the film is that, as Lance was saying, I think we were really interested. We felt like the country was going through a very turbulent moment and there was a lot of conversation around how do we intervene? How do we help? How do we prevent this economic downfall? How do we do that in people's lives? How do we do that within a community? We had a window into seeing one attempt at stopping long-term unemployment in the community. And Lance and I were interested in how do we very, very honestly capture the human experience both from an organization and the trainees in a job training program of what that looks like, where does it succeed and where does it fall short? And that's the filmmaking that we're interested in. It's, it's really getting very up close and personal with, you know, change making efforts in a way that hopefully the public can see and have a window into these moments in a really authentic way. So an honest conversation can happen. And I've seen that film and I've seen the characters that you focused on and the story about, you know, watching people learn how to improve parks. There is a sensibility that you two bring to a story like that, that you know, no one else would have made a movie like that about that subject. It is your movie. It has plot. It's watchable. It's important. And even though it's you know, it is this small window. It's not a movie about your landlord. It's a movie about America. It's a movie about the challenges of living a life on the edge in a lot of ways that most of our country does. What is the connection, though, between Van Jones, who becomes your main protagonist of the new movie and this first movie? There is one, right? Isn't he originally pushing for green jobs? 
Do you create a connection with him around that or does that come later? No, I mean, there, there's a direct through line. I mean, Van was the green job czar, you know, special advisor to President o- Obama. And during his, you know, six or so months while he was in the Obama White House, one of his priorities was how the stimulus intersected with green job creation. And so Van had a big part in the stimulus in that work. And so when Lance and I were in the edit of the film, we reached out to Van. We didn't know Van. We somehow got (laughs) through a friend of a friend of a friend. We got his assistant's phone number, which is how a lot of this stuff works. We pitched his assistant. His assistant told Van. Van was willing to take a phone call with us. And we basically told him that we had spent the last, you know, three or four years documenting a very local story about the impact of this effort that he was involved in while he was at the in the Obama administration. We just said, will you take a look at the rough cut? If you're interested, we'd love to have you, you know, come on uh, as someone that could help us and advise us and counsel us through the edit, um, because you are one of the foremost, you know, experts on this issue in America. And he watched it. He loved the film and uh, came on to the project, watched cuts, gave us a lot of input and uh, helped us with the release of the film. And that was the start of our relationship. Uh, Van's not in the film, but that was the start of a, a bond and a connection that um, that carried through over the course of another project, a web series that we produced with him called The Messy Truth, which followed Van having conversations with Trump supporters in their homes in the lead up to the 2016 election. And then that project snowballed into this five-year journey of making a film about his about his efforts. So this is the way documentaries work a lot of the times. They're they're not, hey, I'm going to do this. They're snowballing a, a cause and effect and you wind up following your gut through through something and something catches and then once it catches and you're in it you wind up following it for many years. Lance, what's the moment that allows you guys to congeal on making a movie with Van about first step back? How does that get going? There's the specific moment which was Right after the election, I think it was a day or two before the Women's March in 2017, when we sat down with Van at a coffee shop in D.C., he was in town to give a speech at the Women's March. And, you know, as Brandon mentioned, we had just made this web series with him a couple months prior before the election. We were just talking about, you know, the moment and what he was kind of foreseeing as the role he wanted to play during these four years, and also us sharing the types of storytellers we wanted to be in that moment, you know, feeling that there was really something there in the sense that, you know, his idea and really his calling to try and find a way to make progress on issues that he cared about a lot like criminal justice reform and addiction, despite the divisions and despite Trump, you know, and, and, his, and his administration being in power was extremely compelling, sounded very perilous um, and sounded like a story that needed to be told that people could learn from. You know, we were interested, this is what he was going to do. And then we were interested in ways that the kind of ethic that Brandon was talking about as far as trying to tell these personal up close 
authentic, honest stories about people attempting to make change against great odds felt like, you know, you couldn't ask for a more kind of perfect, almost like union of that desire to tell a story like that with what Van's, you know, quest in front of him looked like it would be. So thank God, because we had this, you know, relationship that preceded it and a lot of trust between us, uh, he was open to, to us, um, you know, trying, but it wasn't evident that even at that moment in early 2017, that it would follow the story of a bill um, or this group in West Virginia and LA or anything like that. It was really more of an abstract vision. And then over time, you know, we, we, we kind of came to those plot points uh, came to reveal themselves. I had seen a draft of it, but I saw the released version only last night in preparation for this. What struck me in sort of thinking about it is how much complexity there was to this particular movie. There's so much political complexity. There's so much logistical complexity. There's so much storytelling complexity. It is full of hard decisions because of the people, the politics. How do you balance out various things and still get a story and still have it watchable? I know you as two kind of solo, you know, a pair that does a lot of stuff together, but the list of people that you have to thank, the number of people who get involved in one form or fashion, it's a lot. This documentary is so full of, of effort. Can you tell that story, Brandon? You've had one film under your belt, but now you have to put together a film that ultimately involves following Van that involves footage of the president of the United States and his spokesperson and his son-in-law and being in the white house and being in different locations. How does that all happen? It starts with just a curiosity and a fascination and a belief in what van is after. I think you need a serious fire under you to work on a film like this. And Lance and I, I think both felt and feel maybe even more now that the divisions in this country is probably the greatest crisis that this country faces. And so what Van was after in trying to find a way through the political divide in this country to us felt like it wasn't just a nice story to tell or a nice to have, but that whether you agree with him or not, he was after something that is an antidote that someone needs to come up with, whether Van has come up with it or not. And um, so that kind of like, <laughs> you know, uh, trying to document an effort at solving something this important is a serious fire that as an artist, you're feeling that's motivating you through a very challenging landscape. It was an extraordinarily complex story to tell. When you're following an activist who is trying to do something that very few other people are doing and that many people on the left and the right are actively and vocally opposing, um, not everyone, but many people, you immediately open up you know, the lens of your camera and your, your, yourself to understanding, trying to become an expert in the vast political 
social emotional terrain that uh, this this person who you've decided to tell a story is operating within. So, you know, learning about criminal justice reform and the history of that issue and where Van's efforts to pass the First Step Act fit into what happened during the Obama years and what, you know, didn't happen during the Obama years. Learning about Van's critics, you know, better understanding what it means to be an abolitionist um, and why activists on the left were holding a line for more comprehensive criminal justice reform in the beginnings of the First Step Act. These are all issues that as a filmmaker, you, you know, I'm not an expert in criminal justice reform. I had to learn these things. I spent a lot of time just going to Van's team meetings without a camera to both build trust, but also just to understand what is this strategy? What are they working against? What are they working for? Any opportunity, Van and his team were attending a conference or an event or a summit where other leaders and advocates were going to be in the room and present and sharing their strategy, I was immediately in the room. Even if I didn't have access with the camera, I would go just to learn. There was a lot of time spent without a camera, just building access with the Trump White House. I went with Van uh, several times to meet with Jared, to meet with Kellyanne as they were working on these issues, just so I could understand the relationship, so I could present the kind of film that I'm trying to make. None of the things that we filmed in this movie are gotcha moments. None of them are hidden efforts to get access to senators or people in the White House. I explained to them exactly the movie that we were trying to make. And I worked to build a relationship such that we could bring the camera and introduce the camera into these sensitive environments. And it was a very challenging effort. You know, there's technical things like we learned very quickly how to form a very pared down crew how to work with a smaller camera in certain environments so our footprint would be uh, not obtrusive. You know, we had an ethic in the in the room that was never interfere with their their work. They were, you know, they were walking the halls of Congress every other day, Jessica Lewis and Van and their whole Cut 50 team, trying to get a bill passed. And when you have a camera present in those spaces, it can actually interfere with the actual like activist work they were doing. So trying to be very unobtrusive. Lots of different complexities involved. And then in the edit, it, I mean, it took two years to take, you know, 350 hours and bring it down to 89 minutes because there's so many different perspectives that we captured, um, so many different story threads. There's there's the band's personal journey through this moment in time and his, you know, ailing mother. There's uh, Van trying to engage with the Trump administration and and sort of the, the backlash that he received from uh, advocates on the left for that engagement. There's Van trying to bring activists from West Virginia and Los Angeles together around their shared experience with the addiction crisis um, and the human connections that were being formed across these political divides. And for me, as a storyteller, I found the intersection of those things the most interesting. It was seeing a, a leader fight for political change while also fighting for human change on a, on a personal level, while also going through his own interpersonal struggles. And the decision to tell those three threads within one movie is what made this film, I think, the most challenging and I hope the most dynamic. When you were filming, like sometimes when I'm interviewing someone on in a podcast and they say something 
really moving, I can feel it in my body. Like, whoa, this is a moment, you know? And there are some moments that make it into the movie, like Karen Bass, who was a congresswoman from LA who'd been an activist for years. And she's talking to one of the people who's talking about the loss of of their child to addiction. And she said, you know, I had mine for 23 years. There are moments like that. Do you think you felt the moments, the emotional moments like that, that make it into the film when they happened? Or did you discover them later or some combination? Absolutely. No, you, you feel it. You feel it when you're right there in the room. Um, that moment in particular, I actually knew going into that conversation, I knew that Congresswoman Bass had lost um, her child. And I also knew that Doug, you know, this was one of many meetings where Doug was sharing his personal story. And he, Doug, came up to me and Van before that meeting and said, you know, I'd really like to show this photo to the Congresswoman. And so it's one of these things where I, you actually, you start to, as a filmmaker, you start to get a little bit of a gut, like something might happen in this moment, but you don't know what. I vividly remember that feeling of being in that scene. And, you know, you work with incredible Emily Topper, who is the director of photography on this film, is a just the best uh, cinematographer I've ever worked with who is just understands when you're in those raw moments, when something completely unexpected, raw is unfolding. She just understands how to be there, present the camera really close in a non-exploitative way. And that's a real art form to know how to do that. You try to predict as much as possible and then you let it unfold. There's, there's definitely a few moments like that. Lance, how did you think about the wider politics of this film. I mean, I remember having conversations with you. I was nervous about it. I think I expressed like, because I was so worried about Trump getting reelected and so focused on the risk of doing anything that would help him. And, and that was true for a lot of the people that were in the movie. A primary reason they didn't want success of this effort was they didn't want anything that Trump could wave around and claim that he had helped uh, African-American community for in particular, or the incarcerated community, the risk of Trump being reelected was so much larger. How did you think about how this fit in or did you just kind of focus on the story? I mean, we thought about that all the time up to a point, or I thought about it all the time up to a point. And I say up to a point because Look, those four years, I'll say from my end, you know, they were a scary, painful time. It was a scary, painful time to be an American. And it was also just a scary time to be a filmmaker trying to make a film like this and to do it honestly, hold on to our integrity, to not let fear-based decisions guide our creative work and to try and treat people with respect and, you know, still build strong relationships, even though there was a lot at stake and it was not clear that all the things that we wanted to do would help every single person that we were meeting. So it was just, there was a maelstrom of concerns. The only way that I could really come up with dealing with all that along the way, especially during production, was to keep a very low profile. So there was no public 
footprint of this film. There was no website. No one publicly knew that this was happening. We really tried to keep it very contained and low profile. We felt like if it was visible and part of the kind of public conversation, there was no way to actually do all the things in the field or in the edit that, that Brandon was talking about without getting swept up in the daily you know, news cycle or conversation. So part of it was just keeping it very quiet. Um, part of it then was being able to have some separation between my own personal you know, fears or anxieties around what this film would mean or what it would do. And then trying to kind of check that with like, what am I actually seeing? What am I actually feeling? What am I experiencing on the ground and in people's lives? And how can that guide the work? This is a hard thing to do, <laughs> you know, create that separation. I'm a human, you know, I'm not some robot, but I think that we tried really hard to allow ourselves to be surprised by things that checked our own assumptions and to allow that, you know, to present itself in front of the camera and allow it into the edit. I think we tried really hard to uh, build a team of people that weren't just going to reinforce our worldview or perspective, but we're also going to challenge it. So that was a big part of it, just building a, as diverse a team as we could. So it wasn't just Brandon and I trying to come up with all the ideas um, or let our own point of view guide things. But to me, it was almost like we were dealing with all this stuff uh, and trying to almost make the film as uh, evolved as it could be on it, its own before getting the perspective of people outside the team. And we were trying to manage all these dynamics and also to, you know, the relationship with Van and the team and everything, just trying to kind of keep that in its own little internal world. While we were also still pitching the film, trying to get money for it and all these things. And then at a certain point, we had a cut that was not perfect, but we felt like this is as far as we could get it without getting some input from people who were not close and familiar with it. And so it was kind of like, that was the turning point where we said, whatever fears or anxieties we have about this film, we got to just break that seal and start getting people's eyes on it. And we did a really extensive push over the course of almost a year to have people workshop the film. We had over a hundred people watch the film over the course of a year. And that was part of a very extensive effort to just help us build up, I think, the at least the creative courage to tell the story in a way that felt right by the material and by the people without the fear of the politics getting in the way of, you know, doing or not doing something. Brandon, during this making of this film, we have Black Lives Matter stuff going on. We have George Floyd related uprising. You are two Jewish filmmakers working with an African-American man on a film that is about a subject that is racially charged, not made necessarily explicit, but it's there, right? Did that come into play at all with, you know, criticism of you folks doing this or did you have to navigate that at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in that moment and before, that question of authorship of representation, I think 
was always in the room. And then it obviously, you know, came even more so into the conversation at that moment. Like Lance was saying, I think we tried to build a team around the film that was and is very diverse to challenge our perspectives and our understanding of the story and to try to really examine our own prejudices and blind spots. And I think that was critical. I think, you know, working with uh, a team of other filmmakers, advisors who really pushed us um, in lots of different ways. And I, I think, so that was, I think, really critical. I think um, when I go back to the, the origin of the, of the film, Van and myself and Lance, we all, you know, we knew each other for many years and we had a shared passion and interest in bridge building, working across dividing lines and very honest storytelling about those efforts. And so I think that created this union and this collaboration, but fundamental in, in, in doing that is that there's lots of, it's not just Van, it's also you know, in front of the camera um, are communities in rural West Virginia that I'm not from, I'm not a part of. There's community uh, leaders in South Central Los Angeles that I'm not from, that I'm not a part of. And so Lance and I tried to do as much as we could to assemble a team behind the camera in the edit room um, working with us that could help us, you know, just stay as in touch, as aware, as informed as we could of the different perspectives that are present in the film and just try to, you know, challenge that. That was also part of why we had so many rough cut screenings um, and so many, you know, intensive one-on-one -on -one efforts to try to challenge ourselves and, and the story we were telling. So yes, it was, it was a big part of making the film and it's, you know, it's still something that we think about every day. I'm proud of the effort that we took with this film and the team that made it. I think there's also a lot I learned from these four years that will inform how I approach the next project as well. Well, you know, making the film is pretty daunting just from a storytelling standpoint, but finding the people to help fund it and getting the, the required funds in it at the required time to pay people to help you edit it and the rest of the team and for the equipment. And, you know, even, even a documentary requires of, of this size requires a seven figure budget. Lance, you were the producer. How did you make that happen? It was very hard to make it happen. You know, thank goodness we were able to prevail. I feel fortunate that we made it to this point. You know, we're, one of the lucky ones that found a way. It was a extremely, extremely difficult process. You know, some of the mechanical stuff, just like setting up a company and figuring out the mechanics of a relationship with the partners, you know, on paper, that in and of itself is you got to learn how the legal and financial pieces of that set up the right structure. It's not something I went to school for. And then when I was talking about sitting down in the coffee shop with Van, we said, all right, we're going to do this. And in an abstract way, you're then saying, okay, I'm going to commit myself to four plus years of work, raising to your point, a seven figure budget, going out and finding over 150 people who would work on the film. There's almost 200 people that worked on the film over the course of nearly five years. 
and figuring out who those people are crew wise and talent wise, but also then who the people are, they're going to support the work. It was like, I didn't know any of the people that stepped into fund the film. I did not know them at the time of that conversation that we had with Van. So that in and of itself was a, its own journey, you know, that was <laughs> in a sense almost as fraught and, you know, as, as the story of what was happening in front of the camera, a lot of it was, you know, I mean, some of the people that supported the film, Abigail Disney, Regina Skelly, Robert Smith, Clara Wu Sai, the Arquette family, there was a guy named Brad Burr. There's just this network of people that came together. Oftentimes it was through a connection or a relationship that Van had. Sometimes it was through a filmmaking connection, sometimes both. And there were all these different people that we met along the way of getting deeper and deeper into this story in Van's world. You know, as much as Brandon had an ear to the ground for what kind of story, what sort of relationships may open up doors story-wise, I was also always thinking about who might be someone that cared enough about this film and had the means to support the work with, you know, significant money. And, you know, thank goodness we had a number of people that, 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 that committed significant resources, um, that did not all come at once that was spread out over the course of four years. And oftentimes when people came in, was that a perilous moment where it felt like the film was on the brink of falling apart or moving forward, if only they stepped up. And for all the people that said yes, there were many, many, many orders of magnitude of people that said no. I wanted to add one thing just to this, which is that what Van and his team were up against in working across the dividing lines and how controversial, how provocative, um, how unpopular to some communities that was, you know, telling a story about it is you're also in that same lightning rod of a position. And that was the case from the very start to the very end. It's not just bridge builders that are under fire. It's efforts to document that, that is, that are also under fire. So I can't begin to tell you how many times there was, uh, you know, efforts or attempts at sort of saying, I don't think this is the story you guys should make. You should, you know, tell this story instead, even till the very end, you know, like including Trump, including Jared, including Kellyanne in the film. There's a lot of people in the edit who were like, you know, the, the election has happened or, or they're, you know, the country's trying to move on from these people. Why would you include them in your film? That's, you know, brings up a lot of trauma. Well, it's a story about engaging with these people. And frankly, a lot of these people still are incredibly influential in this country, whether people want that or not. And so it's staying true to your gut, to what the actual truth of the story is. That requires going against the grain significantly time and time and time again. And um, for anyone who has operated, whether in filmmaking or other parts of life, going against the grain when you're dealing with this level of influence and power is very hard, especially as two independent storytellers. And I think that's one of the hardest things about the past four years. I imagine it's hard to be completely honest about someone you've worked with as intensively and who opened a lot of doors for you. But what do you, how do you come out of this? thinking about Van himself, like what a complex person he is and what a courageous and imperfect person he is. And, and allowing that to be shown to some degree in the movie is 
is part of his courage, not just the political mountain he tries to climb. What do you come out of this thinking about that man? I've had people ask me about, about this question. And when you are really close to somebody, when somebody is a really, truly good friend, you can challenge that person. <laughs> you can sit down with that person and say, hey, Nathaniel, I really think you're doing the wrong thing here. My rela- or our relationship with Van is, has always been one where there is just an incredible amount of trust. And Van is somebody who really respects honesty and truthfulness. And he, I give him a lot of credit. He is somebody who has been constantly misunderstood his entire career from the left and from the right. He's been attacked publicly many, many times through multiple administrations, efforts. He understood that when I was there with him in moments where he was really struggling on the hardest days, you know, he he did the Jared Kushner interview, people were attacking him. He, you know, stepped into the Trump summit, people are attacking him. And after those days, I'm with him. I'm in his home. I'm I'm capturing those moments. And he understood, and I you know, worked with him, you know, to help get to this point that I was there not to exploit those moments. I was there not to point a camera and be like, look at what you did wrong, but just to show that when you try to work across these dividing lines, it is really hard. It's really challenging and you fall on your face sometimes and you struggle. And I was there with a lot of empathy and that's the kind of filmmaker that I am. You're not a journalist. You're not somebody there, you know, trying to just, you know, document all sides, come in, make an objective piece of journalism and leave. This is a very intimate relationship where you spend years in their life and you strive for honesty and truthfulness, but also, and to challenge them, but also to, uh, you know, be empathetic and try to understand them. And building that relationship and trust has been one of the hardest and most rewarding parts of this uh, five-year journey. I think Van is somebody that uh, they're... There are many aspects to him and as an activist that I think people can learn a lot from. I don't know, Lance, if you want to share, you know, some of them, but, you know, one of the things that stands out to me is his determination and steadfastness. He is one of these people in the world who sets their eye on a prize, on a goal, Van's goal in life. One of them is to get people released from prison. He's been working on it for 25 years. He wants to, you know, pay attention to the political environment he's working in, but he is undeterred by criticism and critique from that goal. And so I think it, whether you agree with Van or not, I think having leaders that are willing to step into the lion's den, step into the fray to get something accomplished on an issue and for a community they care about is something at the very least worth watching a film about and having a conversation about whether you agree or disagree with it. You know, that quality in the thing of the quality that you were talking about, the, the, the complexity of the film, I think that that complexity is in politics. It's in social movements. It's in policy fights. Like it's there. Um, it's not always acknowledged um, in activism and, 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 and politics in particular. And it's often not, allowed into the room in filmmaking as well, particularly filmmaking around these, these kinds of, you know, political fights or, you know, social movements. And Van happens to be someone who 
I'll give them a lot of credit for that believes in the presence of nuance and complexity in the storytelling around, you know, the people and the, the politics and the movements. You know, listen, not everyone can dive into that space. The sides are always going to be a part of the, the that's always going to be very loud and important. But I think a little nuance and complexity is important. The more that we can do, at least as filmmakers, to just, you know, nurture and support people who are trying to allow that kind of storytelling into the fray, the, the better. Because I think it does help us just as citizens understand the world that we're living in. And I give him a lot of credit. There's a risk that, a lot of risk that he and his team took to allow us in to tell that kind of story in the pursuit of offering that window to the public. Um, I think it's just an important part of the democracy. You know, I see him as all the things that Brandon was saying, but also just an important champion of, of, of that set of values in, in the political space and also in the progressive politics, particularly. It's a rare moment where sort of the political opportunity structure opens up enough for this kind of left-right collaboration. In the lead up to this, people like very conservative Senator Mike Lee and, you know, the Ted Cruz's of the world and forces on the right, which start to see there being a problem. And there are forces on the left who've been there for a long time. And there's a, there's a wide gulf between how they think this should be solved, but they both agree that there is a problem. Step by step, by arduous step, you get to an 87 to 12 vote in the Senate, where most people from both parties support a compromise that I think everybody views as, as flawed. You know, it's not the perfect solution. It's a first step, I guess. And to be there to document that rare moment is kind of a special privilege. He kind of got lucky in a certain way. How does it make you feel about a president and his son-in-law Kushner, who are, you know, I think so wrong about so many things that they may have been somewhat right about this one thing. Does it change how you see them? Does it make them more complex to you? How do you look upon them differently or the same after following this one thread? What it makes me wonder is are there other opportunities that were missed? I think I, I walk away with that feeling of, you know, having seen up close a president that ran on a campaign of uh, carnage of, of law and order sort of turn as a, as an ally on this issue in, in this moment in time, it did make me question what other opportunities could possibly have broken through during this time period. If he had tackled infrastructure with, you know, early on with the kind of propaganda persuasion skills that he has, he could have made a lot of things happen that he didn't. There's a scene in the film where Van and his team are like, we need the Trump card. We need this to be the Trump criminal justice reform bill. And once Trump came out in support of the bill publicly, it did open up a lot of opportunity for this. It cleared a lot of road for this 
for this bill to be to be passed. And so I do, yeah, I, I walk away wondering and questioning what other sort of missed opportunities, not to take away any of the you know harmful, damaging, divisive actions taken. It just did make me question, you know, was this the only issue that uh, was capable of uh, you know a bipartisan win like this? But I just wanted to say one other thing to your initial question: seeing compromise happen is a very powerful thing that I think the film hopefully achieves because it was definitely something that I was witnessing. And seeing that feeling that you're talking about of, of something that's flawed, but got the vote and got, you know, got passed, people came home from prison. Seeing people on the left and on the right have to sort of swallow what they want fully, but accept something that gets half of what they want or part of what they want or has things in there that they don't want, but are in there. But the overall end product is something that's very good and helps a lot of people. I think there's something in that tension, that like creative political tension that happened with this bill that is very, very useful to look at. We tried very hard to capture what that looks like on a human to human, whether it's, you know, Van Senator Rand Paul talking strategy in, in the senator's office or seeing Trump signing the bill and handing the pen to Van. There's these moments of both opportunity and discomfort that I hope give a window into a possible opening in the political process because we have to move forward within these divisive times right now. I see a balancing moment at the end of the film. I wonder how you guys see this, where you, on the one hand, celebrate the freeing of or shortening of terms of about 10,000 people that there's that number and there's footage of a lot of hugging, but there's also the number that comes up on the screen of 2.2 million, approximately people still incarcerated, which is a giant black mark on our Republic at the same time. How intentional was that? I assume very. It was intentional. I think those numbers are kind of at the heart of the, the paradox that the film explores, but also an acknowledgement of the promise, like all wrapped up together. So it's like, can two things be true? Could it be the case that there was something, a concrete outcome that had the had some degree of impact or a huge impact in some people's lives? And that that's fact and that that was a policy victory in the eyes of those that fought for it. And at the same time, it wasn't nearly enough. And there's so much more work to be done and so many more lives that are still at stake or suffering. And could that all be kind of true and wrapped up in even the same moment or the same set of statistics? And I think that the film's called The First Step. The bill was called The First Step. So that idea that something could happen and yet there could still be more work to be done, I think is to me, an important conversation to have is, and I think, you know, a lot of the conversations around policy, social change in particular, there's so many dimensions to the conflict, but a central part of the conflict seems to be this idea of, do you kind of hold the line for the thing that you're fighting for and, you know, not compromise or, or stay steadfast? 
or find the things that can happen in the moment to get a little closer to, to what you're trying to get. People have very strong opinions on that. I think what you saw in the film was when all those forces intersected, something, you know, the, the ball got a little further down the field, at least in the eyes of the people that were fighting for this. To say that it's all the work is all over is not accurate. No. And in fact, the, the big debate is like when you get a small thing accomplished, does that sometimes mean that you won't get a larger thing later? Like the way the Senate adds in sentencing reform to the bill is almost like it's highly not predetermined that that would happen. And, and yet it was a key part of, of a bigger compromise. I mean, one of the things that I find interesting about this is that it's not a traditional piece of advocacy. Like a traditional piece of advocacy would be maybe you would really go into depth about how bad the problem is and sort of document the number of incarcerated people and and then follow the in a, in a more straightforward way the activists that are trying to change that. But there is a point of view of the film. If you had to say what is being advocated implicitly what is it to me what's being advocated is to give a damn about the people the plot in a lot of ways follows politics and policy but the film's really i hope about the people to me i feel like if the film is successful then someone who watches the film feels different about the people who are impacted by these issues and and feels moved to care about them and then understands how the policy or the politics are a vehicle to do something for the people. And I think that's different than perhaps just getting wrapped up in solely the nuances of the political or the policy fight, you know, as removed from the longer tail game around just how to, how to help people. Well, I mean, it's, it's so interesting that Van knows this and you know this as filmmakers from your first movie too. There's a big gulf between policymakers in D.C. and elsewhere and human beings that are dealing with drugs and dealing with relatives being put in prison and given long terms for things that sometimes are inappropriate. And, and it seems like sometimes if you can find a way to reduce that gulf, you can make change. Can I, can I share another just thing that I think the film is advocating for, which is just dialogue and empathy across different political ideologies. To me, that's the, in my heart, that's the biggest thing that I hope is, is taken out of the film is that there are different strategies for how to make effective change in this country. Van and his team have one that I think is very important. And obviously I spent five years of my life trying to document it and highlight it and, and embrace it. But you know, there's a reason why we spent a lot of time with the other advocates in the film as well, capturing a lot of the hard conversation between Van and his team and people who disagree with that strategy on the left and the right. And the hope for the film is that when you are able to sit back in the recent past and watch in 90 minutes a narrative that hopefully has as much honesty and complexity as possible of what just happened, it can be... Hopefully, you know, it's obviously uncomfortable, but hopefully it can also give a level of empathy, a level of vulnerability that can also take down some of these hardened views and hardened feelings around this is the right strategy. So that a, a, a little bit, if 5% of an opening happens, 
between the left and the right, different perspectives and political strategies on the left, on the right, by watching the film. And it just can have a little bit more empathy of that. To me, that could lead to more legislation, more progress, more working together. That's the advocacy of the film. One last question for you guys. I appreciate how much time you've given me. In this five-year journey, what's the moment that's going to stand out to you the most? I see two brothers, both with identical face and hands, contemplating this one. The, the honest answer is there isn't a moment that is sort of permeating for me. We're doing this interview a week after our world premiere, a few days before we're going to be screening this film in person in front of an audience for the very first time, a month after we finish the film. At the moment, and I think this is probably rings true for pretty much any other documentary filmmaker, the the five-year journey, it's, it, it is so muddy and cloudy and intense. There has not been a single moment of pause, of reflection, of making sense of all of it. You know, there's little sort of bumps, whether highs or lows, that stand out to me. At the moment, it's sort of like it's one complicated, messy, creative, dynamic, rewarding block um, in my in my heart and in my mind. And I think the totality of it is what's standing out to me the most. You know, I could say, you know, filming this moment in the Trump White House or this exchange between LA and West Virginia at a diner where these people opened up their hearts to one another or the time in the edit where, you know, Lance and I sat back and we're like, holy shit, this movie actually works. <laughs> like, you know, or, 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 you know, there are those little, little moments, but I think at the end of the day, one thing I will say is Lance and I just sat down and we quality checked. It's called QC, the finished film in a movie theater, just the two of us the other day. And to sit in a theater, even though it was just the two of us <laughs> alone in there, and watch this thing that started from just a question and a conversation five years ago and now is a finished, completed, 90-minute emotional journey. And the fact that it exists on this hard drive as something that we can share, that audiences can engage with, is a pretty amazing outcome and it's the amazing part of, of, of filmmaking is it's so hard it's so collaborative it takes so much time so much money so much work at the end of the day you do have this thing that you push play on and you know whether it's 10 people a hundred a thousand can watch it and hopefully be moved have their perspective challenged in some sort of meaningful way and we're just at the very beginning of that process of sharing it from my end, uh, I'm also living in that cloud right now. You know, a moment, which is maybe more of a period than a moment, was there was about a 10-day stretch, maybe two months ago, where we shared the film prior to completion with almost everyone who was featured in the film prominently. You know, all the central protagonists. We did that over Zoom because of the pandemic. It's a really core part of our ethics to be able to share the film with the people who so, you know, graciously and courageously, you know, let us into their lives during those moments um, before the film is finished. So they're not just seeing it, 
you know, in a movie theater with everyone else. We did that with City of Trees. It was a very emotional experience with City of Trees when we did it in person. And I thought it would be less meaningful doing it on Zoom. And I was really completely wrong in that sense. It was an incredibly powerful experience sitting with people virtually where their cameras were on. You had the window into how they were experiencing the film, literally a window because you're seeing people's faces. They were seeing ours. I've never experienced anything like it in my whole life. Um, if you want to have a way to connect with someone's, you know, mind, body, and soul, you know, in something that transcends lived experience, you know, normal reference points of lived experience, that was that, you know, more than a dozen times over. And um, being able to have that touch point with everyone and ultimately people's blessing prior to the film being completed, a lot of tears shed and, uh, you know, just to know that the film did right by, by people who were in it, I think that that's something I'll never forget. And it's something that of all the struggles of the pandemic that made this process so much harder in a way, that was something that that's like one kind of moment of, of beauty that the pandemic, you know, uh, offered. Well, I think you two are obviously thoughtful people and I'm honored to have watched you do this from some distance. And I wonder if there's any other question that I failed to ask that you'd like to answer. Can I ask you a question? Or is that not how this goes? You can ask me a question, whether I'll answer it or not. I don't know. <laughs> because you've known us for so long and seen this journey, like when we were starting, starting the company and, you know, having these conversations about what we wanted to do or what the work could become or the company could become based on where we're at right now, how similar, different, or otherwise is where we landed relative to what you thought, you know, might be the trajectory at that time. I think one of the things in life is that you can look backwards and see the makings of the adolescent in the baby or the adult in the adolescent, but you can't really project forward from the kid you just had to the developed offspring that takes place that grows over time. And I think it's the same way here. I never made any effort to imagine where you guys would be 10 years later or whatever. I, I just listened to where you were at a particular time and honestly marveled at your ability to think about that moment and try to make good decisions about how to go forward. I think that's life. There's only so much you can plan. So much, particularly in building a documentary, is fortuitous events. I think that's true in building a company too, which you did at the same time. It's this interaction between your environment and your efforts and your decisions and that iteration. I think you guys could have gone many different paths in these 10 years. And this is the one you, you did. It's a good one. 
And the only thing you can do now is decide where to put your foot next. And I look forward to seeing where that is. Well, thank, thanks for answering my question. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. I know this is not a question, but maybe you want to edit this out. But I really do feel like just as a friend, the way that you've remained curious about us and cared and just, you know, been there with us, honestly, more through the struggles and the hard moments than, you know, you showed up when there was the thing to celebrate, but you were always there when there were hard times, um, you know, and walks around the neighborhood or walks in the park or, you know, a meal, you know, on the porch or any, any of these types of ways of connecting um, and just feeling understood at times where it felt like a lot of the world misunderstood us and that you still cared and were invested in our pursuit uh, is just a, has been a real blessing and something that we, I don't take, you know, I don't think either of us takes for granted. And I think part of the key in doing these kinds of things is having people that believe in you that way. So I really appreciate it. It's always been a pleasure for me. It's never been an effort. I thank you guys. Anything else you want to say? Uh, just echo everything Lance just said. I think you, you you need to make risky decisions like this and to take on a you know somewhat perilous path of of making a film like this. Not perilous, but just very hard. Um, you need people in your life who have strong conviction, are very in touch with their gut, have their own lived experience of taking huge leaps of faith, whether they've fallen or in their face or not. And Nathaniel, you are definitely one of the people that have always encouraged us to, to stay true to what we feel is right. And uh, <laughs> it's been hard <laughs> being your friend and taking your advice means like you, you feel the great satisfaction of doing work you love it also means you, you know, sometimes the work you love is, is hard and doesn't exactly fit into the way society works. And so that's, that's one of the challenges that we've faced always in this work. I don't think there's a lot more satisfying in the doing or in the looking back than making stuff. And you guys made something. You know, I look forward to seeing what you make next. That's all. That was Brandon and Lance Kramer. They are at meridianhillpictures.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.